Here's what's coming up on today's show. We're not looking at what's the best investment. I always get that uh, question. Yeah. You say, well, you don't really know what the best investment is until hindsight. And uh, But what we're trying to do is find what's an appropriate investment for you, trying to get your go- to your goals, taking the least amount of risk possible. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial in the San Diego area, and Thomas O'Connell, president of International Financial Advisory Group, Inc. in Rockaway, New Jersey. Together, they'll be keeping retirement happy from coast to coast. Welcome back to another episode of the Retire Happy Podcast. I'm your host on the West Coast, John Amarino, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host on the East Coast, Tom O'Connell. Happy New Year, Tommy. Hey, hey, hey. Happy New Year. How's it going? Good, good. It's a good start to the new year. We're excited about the new podcast uh, for the new year. And, uh, you know, our podcast is really growing, Tommy. I actually got about three emails for guests who are asking to come on our show. Nice. So glad to see some progress being made there. And I know and our, for our, t- today's guest was begging us to come back. Yes. On. Yes. He loves us. We're his favorite. <laughs> and folks, uh, probably by about next week, our uh, retire happy podcast webpage will be live. So you'll be able to get show notes. Uh, if we have anything, uh, you know, any handouts or whatnot, you'll be able to download them from there and uh, find all our other episodes. I'm looking so, forward to getting uh, getting modernized here. Yeah. So 2023 is going to be a great year uh, for the podcast. So the question is, Tommy, will 2023 be a great year for the markets? Well, the markets and, I'm not sure about. Uh, hopefully our clients. Yeah. Yeah, well, we always look to add value no matter what the markets are doing. But we have for our first guest of 2023, the chief investment officer of Brookstone Capital Management. He affirmed that manages over what now $8 billion in assets. Uh, he's a 20-year industry expert and veteran and uh one of the smartest guys in the room i would definitely say that when he when he talks uh you just try to follow as to what he's saying and if i could add he i think he's billed as the funniest cfa in the country now i know those those two things don't usually go together in the same sentence but in mark's case we have to make an exception yeah, he, Mark is pretty funny, and, and I mean, to to the credit of CFAs, I think they're actually funnier than actuaries. So, so without further ado, we would like to introduce the chief investment officer of Brookstone Capital Management, Mr. Mark Diorio. And introducing the chief investment officer of Brookstone Capital Management, Mark. Diorio. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for finally answering my emails. I don't know how many I've sent. I'm trying to get back on the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said two to accept our uh, invitation to the podcast. You just hit the button. You didn't even say thank you very much for having us. Well, very good. It's great to be here, guys. Well, thanks, Mark, for uh, for coming on again. You're always uh, full of knowledge and um, 
great advice for us as uh, you know as advisors, and we love sharing all that information with uh, with our listeners and our clients. So we're looking forward to this. Great, yeah, and and you know it's a, a credit to you, Mark, and a credit to Brooke Stone. While Tom and I work with uh, your left hand man, Alex, uh, who's our CFA analyst, uh, you know, for as big as Brookstone's gotten, eight billion dollars in assets and management, over a thousand advisors, you know, guys like you and Dean, you know, don't forget the long term relationships and are always willing to help out the advisors. So, from an advisor standpoint, we always appreciate that for sure. Well, very kind of you to say that for sure. And um, what we really do is not think of ourselves in an ivory tower and uh, making decisions there, but really making decisions on what's impactful for what our core clients are. And that's wealth management clients, people seeking retirement and how to live a, a fulfilling life in retirement and not have to worry about their investments and having them prudently managed. Right, right. So let's take a step back. And let's let's take a look at 2022 as a year in review. I, I remember being at our uh, advanced uh, investment conference back last March in Austin, and you were encouraging advisors to be proactive for their clients. And you had said that really, and for anyone in the room, we hadn't seen an environment like this where we were at zero interest rates. In what was going to be an an, uh, an aggressive interest rate rising environment, we had double digit inflations, market highs, and record national debt. So you were already sounding the alarm bell, and, and you don't sound the alarm bell too often. But you you said you know this year is going to be volatile, and it sure was, and it was especially volatile for the tried and true 60-40 portfolio. So can you just talk to us about 2022? Yeah, definitely. Stocks were down about, uh, at their lowest, about 25% during the year, and they finished down about 19%. So maybe just a little bit shy of 20%. And of course, some high-flying stocks, maybe the large cap tech names that you're familiar with, Amazon and Google and Meta, which was formerly known as Facebook, uh, were down well more than that. And so the tech stocks, and which had been the leaders, were down uh, up upwards of or worse than 30%. And these are very, very large companies. These aren't just small fly-by-night speculative plays. These are large kind of cornerstones of uh, modern financial and uh, the economy were down significantly. So they really led the, the markets lower. And equities on average, so stocks in general, they do average a decline of about 14% in any given year. So that's during the year. So you can say we'd expect a correction, a normal correction in any given year. Uh, a pullback between 0 and 10% from a recent high uh, would be called a pullback. A decline between 10 and 20% would be called a correction. And then a decline of more than 20%, a bear market. So we did get that uh, more than 20% decline this year and finished pretty close to those lows. But that's not that strange for stocks. Stocks are volatile. They do rally. You'll see 20% up years, for example. Um, but you also see those declines. What was strange, and going to your point, John, was the challenges of what occurred in the bond market. So bonds and the bond uh, bond prices are inversely related to interest rates. So if interest rates rise, bond prices decline. So going back to uh, almost 50 years, 
we have never seen a de double digit decline in the bond market index, uh, major bond market index, the aggregate bond index is what it's called. Most of the time during the year, maybe you'll get an average of a 3% type of decline and it'll range between two and five generally. The worst uh, intra-year decline was a negative 9% going back to about 1980. This year, we had an intra-year decline of 17% and finished the year down 13%. So far and away, the worst performance for bonds, and most people don't talk about bonds. They don't get a lot of attention like stocks do. But as you mentioned, if you're just a traditional 60% stock, 40% bond, investor. And that's a traditional moderate or balanced portfolio. So most clients in that range has have some variation of that mix. And because that's where most of the research has uh, centered around and with good reason, because bonds usually perform pretty well, uh, or at least hold up when stocks decline. But in this case, we were going from ultra low interest rates up very rapidly. And the reason the Federal Reserve decided to raise interest rates was because we were at 40-year high inflation levels. But just to put that stock and bond return into context, this is the first year in the last 100 years looking at the, that, the data where both stocks and bonds declined more than 10%. And only about the sixth year um, where both stocks and bonds declined in the same year. So normally you benefit from the diversification. This was a rare year where you did not, and it was to a greater degree. And a lot of that was because of all the reasons you were mentioning at the beginning, because we had ultra low interest rates. We had to raise those interest rates where the Federal Reserve did. And the Federal Reserve manage, manages monetary policy. And what they're trying to do is set the Fed funds rate. And the Fed funds rate is the rate that banks charge each other in the overnight market, overnight loan market. So it's very normal for banks to loan each other money in the overnight market. So they maintain proper reserves. That's very normal. It happens every day. Uh, it's happened for years. But when they increase interest rates, it discourages lending out money and borrowing money and really slows down money creation in the private economy because you raise those raise those interest rates, make it a little bit more costly. And, but all you're doing is raising, all they're doing is setting that policy and then sending a message to the rest of the bond market saying, we're raising interest rates on the very short end, the overnight. And so those rates usually uh, rally in, in concert. And, and what, um, what really proved to be a challenge uh, this cycle is inflation just didn't come down as quickly as, as they were expecting to begin with. And coming into the year, uh, the Federal Reserve was not expected to raise rates as rapidly as they did, uh, essentially 400 or 4%, um, just in a matter of a few months here. And so here we are addressing the, those challenges of inflation. And uh, now the, the market's trying to figure out, well, is it an inflation problem or now are we going to transition to a recession problem? I mean, you mentioned stocks were down 25%, but, you know, in kind of following in line with what you were saying, the 60-40 portfolios at point in times were down over 20%. So, uh, you know, definitely, you know, a volatile year. And you guys came out with some great things to help us with, you know, try to, I guess, modernize a 60-40 portfolio. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Yeah, definitely. You know we did it at the beginning of the year. If um, uh, 
if the strategies are um, you're referring to, we'll, we'll talk about, which are called some buffer strategies, really to offer protection on the downside, but but also knowing what unique challenges this market cycle presents. You know, one of the in- interesting things that you did say, Mark, that doesn't get a lot of attention is the fact that people don't talk about the bond market a lot. It's interesting because the bond market is so much larger than the stock market. And there's so much more money there that it does surprise me at times that it's kind of an afterthought for most uh, economists, advisors, banks, brokerage houses, mutual fund, families, so on and so forth. Definitely. It is looking at what's called the treasury yield curve or interest rates that the US government borrows at. They issue treasury securities, and that's what we borrow at. Uh, and that really indicates what they can, what uh, the financial markets considers the risk-free rate. Even though there's risks and there's some volatility to that, um, there's not default risk per se, where it can be money good, even if that money inflates or you know is uh, inflated away in terms of purchasing power. But the point is, uh, to your point, Tom, which is really saying that interest rates really, really matter, where bonds are trading really, really matter. They're higher on the capital structure than stocks. Uh, and so they're going to dictate, um, the rates really dictate what an equity investor would demand in terms of return. So if you increase interest rates and it's uh, you can get a higher interest rate on bonds, now stocks have to offer a better forward-looking return. And so stocks sometimes will sell off, and that was very much the case last year, sell off in reaction to that, saying that, no, we demand, the market demanded lower prices. Importantly, what why the markets kind of sold off and sold off so strongly was they were raising these interest rates, making it essentially uh, uh, more costly to borrow, which tightens liquidity conditions. So post-COVID or during COVID, where we had physical and monetary policy become uh, aggressive or or very favorable for the markets, you had excess liquidity as they pushed out uh, different programs. And now we're on the reverse side of that, where they're trying to normalize the money that they pushed into the economy. Because in reality, they didn't know how much the economy needed, how much financial markets needed, how long the, the dislocation in the employment picture would last. And so they pushed this out here and now they're trying to take it in and they've been fairly aggressive at at pulling that back. And so the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. So they look at really two major things. Their job is to promote policies for full employment. Now that's not defined, but that generally means full um, that most people are, are at least you have 5% unemployment in that range, not 10%. That would be too much. Um, right now, we actually have below five percent. So we do we do have what would be considered economists consider full employment. So once that is taken care of, then they look at the inflation level, and um, so they have to moderate uh, moderate long term and short term inflation levels and, and expectations. So they're balancing that, and sometimes those those two issues are at odds. And you want to enact policy, whereas what's primary. So during COVID and the pandemic and the shutdown, well, they wanted to make sure they had policies that were trying to get jobs back online, reduce that dislocation and the unemployment and that kind of spike. And so those are the policies they pursued. Uh, Move Fast forward 18 months, policies that they started to pursue was looking at containing inflation rather than making the unemployment rate the, the primary 
uh, issue. All right. So if I put on my Karnak hat, as John <laughs> asked me to do earlier, before we you're got the oldest on guy air. in the room, you're the <laughs> oldest guy in the room. So you're you're most in tune with Johnny Carson. And for our listeners, John was still in diapers when Karnak was around. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is true. So uh, if I hear you correctly, uh, Mark, I'm going to kind of paraphrase. There was really no place to hide for anybody in 2022. So where do you think we go in 2023? And then maybe a couple of quick quips on things like interest rates, unemployment, inflation, recession, and corporate profits. All right. Let's look at one of the one of the dominant asset classes. And when you say everything kind of nowhere to hide, everything kind of got hit. Well, one of the asset classes that has a negative or inverse correlation with asset classes, stocks, bonds, and, and all the different variations, large cap, small cap, international, so forth, is the US dollar. The US dollar freely floats against all the major currencies that do freely float. So you're talking about the euro, the yen, the pound, uh, Canadian dollar, Swiss franc, and so forth. Well, because the US raised interest rates so quickly and dried up liquidity as quickly as they did, especially relative to those other countries, the US dollar actually spiked higher last year, which is actually kind of interesting when we consider we had um, elevated levels of inflation. You think the purchasing power of your dollar is declining. Yes, but not internationally. In fact, the US dollar rallied almost 20% last year. Wow. And for a currency, 5% is a big move. So this is a major, major move. And as we sit here today, we're probably about a 13 to 15% overvalued on a purchasing power parity basis. Now, that doesn't revert immediately, but we think it's elevated enough where that can start to decline and alleviate some of those pressures. And as I mentioned, it's an inverse correlation to asset classes. So if the dollar starts coming down, I think you'll see asset uh, prices uh, benefit from that and start to recover. On the inflation front, we think we see a clear turn that inflation is coming down. And I'll give you maybe a couple of points. Um, one would be the rate of change in, in oil. Now, oil's a wild card and it rallied sharply. It kind of had a couple of different whammies that hit it coming into the year, which was you had rigs were still somewhat offline. So they're still getting rigs involved. We had an economy that, that, that needed more energy and oil. And you had the disruption, of course, with Russia, Ukraine. So you had the geopolitical risk come in. However, the last six months with oil kind of normalizing and coming down, the rate of change in oil is a negative 24% annualized. So that actually flows through and does show up in the economy. That actually would suggest that uh, the economy, uh, that would have a, a positive impact on the overall economy, the growth of the economy. Then you look at housing. Housing had house prices had appreciated. Interest rates had jumped high, much higher. So housing affordability has declined, and now you see a slowing in the housing market. That's delayed in the CPI or in the inflation number because it's called owner's equivalent rent. But that number is going to come down as well. And we also see supply chains easing and the time to delivery easing quite considerably. Um, and used car prices is probably a, a one that was used where used car prices or one-year-old car was selling at the, the same as a new car. And right. so that was a clear dislocation in our mind that that's not normal. That's going to revert. It was just a matter of time. And so that that's reverting as well. So we think that the inflation front is starting to cool and come down. And for the markets, you don't necessarily need it to come back all the way down. You just need it heading in the, the right direction. And now, interestingly, 
the idea that's kind of gripped most managers or in the investment world is that, okay, you have inflation, you raise interest rates, you cause a recession to reduce inflation. And a lot of the traditional indicators that indicate a recession have started to pop up there. Uh, recession expectations by economists have really shot higher. Leading economic indicators are pointing down uh, something called the yield curve. Uh, that's where longer-term rates are lower than short-term rates. So that's an inverted yield curve, as they call it, because usually you think, well, if I invest for three or five years, I'd get a higher interest rate. Well, that's not not what you get right now. You actually get a lower interest rate as you go out to 10 years versus two years. Um, so that's an inverted yield curve. So I'm very sympathetic when I look at that data saying, well, yeah, that does argue that that's uh, recessionary indicators. However, this cycle has been different. The, the market has decline over 20%, but the recession just hasn't shown up. And in fact, if you look at uh, the GDP now forecast from the Atlanta Federal Reserve, they kind of put together this nice report where they collect all this data and say, here's where the number, like in real time, here's where the GDP number is coming out at. And right now it's coming out at three to 4%. Well, that's not recessionary at all. Recessionary, you need uh, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And so that number is just saying that, wait a minute, the economy's not rolling over like uh, economists started to expect. And in fact, economists are starting to increase their forecast now because the, the data is just not rolling over like they expected. So the idea that the economy is just going to roll over just because it's supposed to might not actually come true. So when you raise interest rates, you're also trying to, or at least historically and going into a recession, you'd also see a jump in unemployment, meaning that uh, companies are laying off workers and so forth. Well, we may see that in the headline with these big tech companies who may have just gotten too big and are, are shrinking now. The unemployment rate has been sticky uh, and is at three and a half percent. At the same time, wage growth has now declined and one of the issues they were concerned about was kind of this wage price spiral that could happen. Well, wage growth went right back down to the normalized level, and you haven't had an uptick in unemployment, which says, wait a minute, maybe the inflation problem is not, not as strong as we thought, and maybe the unemployment problem slash recession is not what we thought it's going to be. And so if those numbers kind of balance out uh, and the economy keeps humming along, I think you're going to have a pretty big surprise. And that's going to be the surprise. Um, and usually surprises is uh, the market will react to surprises pretty um, aggressively in one direction or the other. Uh, if, if the surprise is good, I think the markets are actually going to uh, be pretty pleased and respond accordingly to those, those better numbers. And so um, when we put that, that together, with the consideration that in a third year of a presidential election cycle, regardless of who's president, regardless of uh, the midterms, that's actually been historically the, the best year of the four-year presidential cycle for markets. And there's never been a recession in the first six months of the third year of the presidential cycle. Uh, so this is starting to line up as uh, actually a kind of a positive surprise that I think no one's going to feel good about because we're all supposed to feel bad. And it's, it was a very challenging um, and confusing year. But when you look at asset prices right now, they start to look attractively valued given that scenario where, well, bonds can stabilize here. You get a bigger coupon now higher because you have higher interest rates, uh, but the Fed doesn't have to raise interest rates as aggressively if inflation is coming down. And likewise, with the market starting to price and with that big sell-off, 
they were basically starting to expect a recession and profits decline. Well, what if that doesn't really happen or it's very mild? The market is going to look right through that and start to find some opportunities. And there's plenty of uh, opportunities uh, in the marketplace right now. Right. And you mentioned earlier last year that we started to take uh, a proactive approach to the market conditions that were evolving. And um, you know, as Tommy and I would always kind of tell our clients, we're, we were given the 60-40 a, a remodel job. We were actually reducing our exposure to bonds, but not increasing the risk in our portfolios. And I think we probably drove Alex crazy going, hey, Alex, this is what we want. You know, how do we reduce bond exposure, you know, and, and effectively increase equity exposure without increasing the risk that our clients aren't comfortable with taking. And you, know, you guys came out with a lot of, of of great funds. And it really, I think the proactive approach, and Tommy, correct me if you had any different reactions, but part of our job, 80% of this game is psychological. And we are able to keep our clients in in tune, right? No one likes losing money, but they understood that this is going to happen. And they understood we are taking proactive approaches to safeguard a major market uh, loss in their portfolio. And you know, one thing I've always tell my clients is probably Mark's favorite piece is the 10 missing out on the 10 best days yeah. in the market. And and I think what you guys afforded us to do, and, and we'll segue into it, is your investment strategies that reduce that downside risk allowed us to keep our clients right, uh, confident that we had a plan for this downturn, that we were taking those proactive uh, approaches, and we weren't going to miss those 10 best days. They were going to be in the market in some way, shape, or form. So can you talk to us? And, and Tommy, did you guys, did you have anything different with your clients? No, uh, it's about expectation setting, I think, part of it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, right? I think we all saw what was coming, the train that was coming down the tracks in early 2022. And we went out and and let our clients know that. And we said, hey, here's what we're going to do to try to manage that for you. Was it done perfectly? Well, no, because you know, as we just talked about, there weren't a lot of places to hide and buying and selling the US dollar on a large scale basis isn't what we do for retirement planning, right? You know, it's mostly stocks, bonds, equities, and fixed income, life insurance and annuities, those types of things. So if we're not going into those fixed instruments, uh, you know, we really had to just say, hey, look, this is going to be a tough year. And it's not going to be pretty, but we're managing that downside for you. You know, when your friends are losing 40% because they're in Tesla, maybe you only lost 10. And to us, being able to minimize that, I think, is is a number one of our job uh, description. Yeah. But minimize it and then stay in the game. And then stay in the game. Right. I, I think right, I because... sent that chart out like three, two or three times uh, throughout the whole year, just saying, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. Yeah, I mean Mark Mark's SEO on the internet is is crazy because I'm always saying, "Oh, Mark Diorio's favorite chart, stay in the market 10 days." I think his second favorite chart is diversification, um, you know, making sure you're minimizing those big down downturns and and that's really right Mark what matters. It's yes, we all like a double digit positive return, but if we're getting reasonable rates of return, 
that are outpacing inflation in some years are better than others, but we're minimizing the devastating, like Tommy said, 40% drawdown, um, then you know our clients probably a success drastically increase. And and that's one thing I that I've seen because Tommy, we've both been you've been with broker dealers. I've been with, when we've both been with other RIAs. Brookstone has always led from an approach that I saw in the RMA designation. I'm sure, Tommy, you've been seeing it in your RICP studies for retirement planning, is that you have to have some type of principal protection. Right. And Brookstone's always led with that. They said, hey, you have to have some type of principal protection, and then you have your core and your satellite. So, um, Mark, why don't you now kind of tell us what strategies you guys have have really advised clients or advise the advisors to use for their clients. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. And thanks for that discussion. The And to give even further context, I think, on missing the best days in the market, usually they ha- happen around the worst days, So, uh, which I think surprises a lot of investors. When we go back and look at some of the, the best days, they're close to some of the worst days. They could be a couple of weeks later, and you don't know. They kind of come out of nowhere and may have started... So the market doesn't tell you, okay, we're going to turn around today and head back higher and recoup some of that big uh, loss from the other day when all the news was was negative. And any of the uh, bear markets at their lows, it's a little misleading because you could say, oh, the market went down you know, X percent. Well, when it turns around, it turns very fast. And you could point to 2020 where March of 2020, the market just went down, just it seemed like endlessly and the month would never end. And sure enough, April came and then May came and the market just relentlessly came back. And going back to the global financial crisis, um, the market was down about 20 plus percent by the first week of March. By June, it had recovered all, all of that. In other words, it didn't. there was no news that would tell you that, okay, it's going to come all the way back within that period of time. Um, so the market often often rallies very sharply when it does, and many times it could be no news, and you don't feel good at at the time. And so when we're building a portfolio, we're not looking at what's the best investment. I always get that uh, question. Yeah. And you say, well, you don't really know what the best investment is until hindsight. And uh, but what we're trying to do is find what's an appropriate investment for you, trying to get your goal to your goals taking the least amount of risk possible. And it's, uh, to your point, Tommy, we're trying to build a, a rational investment strategy in an irrational world. Right. <laughs> and uh, and reasonable expectations uh, is a good anchor to really execute on that strategy. So to that point, we started to add strategies and try to keep in mind um, to be as innovative as we can but be as rational when we implement those strategies. And so we do use a core plus satellite allocation design framework, meaning you have your core portfolio, but then we add some satellites or different strategies to really augment that core or improve the risk of return of that core. And one of those really innovative strategies was bringing on board what are called uh, defined outcome or buffer ETFs, exchange-traded funds. So this was a real innovative strategy that we have been monitoring actually for a couple of years. They have been, they were very new over these last um, 
three years, but we're familiar with the marketplace. And what these ETFs do is provide stated protection on the downside linked to the S&P 500, for example. And then they offer an upside participation up to a cap in a daily liquid vehicle, the ETF. So you can buy and sell it on any day. But the idea is there's three variations. You could invest in what what's called a buffer ETF, and it would have protection for the first 9% of the downside over one year. So if the market's down uh, 15%, you'd be down 6% only. And then it provide upside to a cap. And let's say that upside is 17%. So you'd participate essentially one for one uh, up to 17%. So if the market's up uh, 10, you're up 10. If the market's up 25, well, you're capped out at 17. And a lot of people will say, well, that's fine. That's within, you know, I'm not going to complain about that. That's a that's a good return. And then uh, you could take it one step further and add more protection where it's a negative 15% of the downside. And then the cap on the upside comes down a little bit. And then another version, the ultra buffer or deep buffer series would go from a negative five to a negative 30 or 35% of the downside, which means you take the first 5% of the downside, but then you're essentially uh, hedged for the next 25 or 30% of the downside over that one, a one year outcome period. And even though you can trade it on any given day, the idea is, well, you're adding it to the portfolio. So we're not just trading these, we're uh, adding them to the portfolio and are gonna invest over that, what they call outcome period. And then it just, and then the, the ETF will just reset automatically, or we'll look at other ETFs if they have a better or improved risk and return profile. And because they're daily liquid, we can just roll to the next series. And even if they, you know, you're invested and in, let's say the market rallies strongly and the ETFs up, uh, up towards the cap, we can actually, sell out of that since you've got most of the cap and re-up or reinvest or roll that ETF to another one. So it becomes a really, I think, applicable strategy for a lot of investors who may say, well, I want to participate in the equity markets, but not with the same amount of volatility that the equity markets provide. And if I'm satisfied with the upside cap, and right now, and I think over the last year or so, for sure, they've been definitely within reason. And uh, we found a lot of use cases. In fact, there was probably a one of our more popular approaches last year. And given the market, uh, uh, that makes a lot of sense to us. So our uh, investors in those strategies were basically in the single, single digit kind of declines where you'd say, well, that's that's pretty manageable given we have both stocks and bonds down double digits. So traditional conservative investors, for example, the, the industry would tell you a conservative investor should go into bonds. Let's say they're 80% in bonds, 20% in stocks and they're down over double digits. So you didn't find that protection. And that's one of the challenges with low interest rates and having to raise interest rates to um, essentially to, to execute policy is, well, you don't have protection with the existing coupon when you have low interest rates in that scenario. Uh, and so bond investors can kind of have those, those losses that are steeper than traditionally. And why we like this strategy was it was a way to mitigate equity risk without bonds. So that was pretty innovative in uh, in and of itself and thought had a, a number of use cases for our types of clients. And you know, and even if the market rebounds, kind of like you said, and, and yes, caps might come down, but let's be honest, Mark, I, I think for today's retiree client, if you had a moderate type of investment that had a 15% initial buffer and you made 10% and you know, maybe 35 
percent of your portfolio or forty percent of your portfolio is in that, I think you're happy year to year. I mean, that's that's achieving goals. That's you know, definitely going to help you know help you out in the long term. And then if the market does decline, you have that protection. And I've moved a lot of money into those because I've seen the value in it. And, and I think our first one is coming up in February. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think it's been a great addition to our overall investment platform. And, um, and it's important to realize for, for those that might not, uh, that we're a fiduciary-based advisor. So that what that means is we're not selling a particular product or the, the ETF or something like that. What we're doing is evaluating all these different investment vehicles to determine what would be appropriate in your portfolio. So we're taking that and basically research and it's incumbent upon us to determine if that's uh, appropriate in, in your situation. Right. And, and not that, only that, but you're you're keeping costs down while you're doing it. We're not we're not getting involved in these exorbitantly high priced uh hedge funds or or you know even higher cost mutual funds. Yeah, and definitely. That, and a, a word on hedge funds, it's um uh, they they've kind of had that that appeal, that elitism appeal a little bit. Uh, hedge funds are doing this or that, and they they get headlines on CNBC or wherever because maybe they're making some move that's headline wor- worthy. But when you look at the data, hedge funds in and of themselves on a net basis actually do not perform very well. They are high fees. Um, so they we don't think they actually uh, are that appropriate for a lot of in- investors and really don't benefit them. Where in contrast, we saw a lot of kind of use cases and benefit uh, to clients implementing with a structure like this, where you had that defined outcome. It wasn't based on what slick move they were making. This was really embedded in the strategy, which is they're hedging at these levels. Here's our risk and return levels. And so that allows us to plan a little bit better. And going back to almost the, the start of this portion of the conversation, allow investors to kind of make it through challenging times without emotionally or overreacting to certain moments in time. And they're definitely, the market gives you plenty of opportunity to do that. Right. Another uh, instrument that we have found over the last few years to be quite uh, helpful is something that Brookstone has really, I think, led the charge in uh, over the last few years, which is the structured notes. Can you just talk to us a little bit about those? Yeah, definitely. And this this research really led to us being able to understand the buffered ETFs that we were just talking about because they're essentially structured in a certain way. Well, structured notes uh, are an investment vehicle similar to a mutual fund and or an ETF, exchange-traded fund, except they pursue a different purpose where a mutual fund provides participation in the, in the underlying asset class. So that could be stocks or bonds or a combination. An ETF generally does the same way, but it has more flexibility. So there's uh, a lot more strategies that are inside the in, in ETF. And then an invest, uh, a structured note is issued by the major capital markets desks of major banks. So Citigroup, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, they all have these desks and they don't go out into the retail uh, markets. They go out through investment professionals where they put together these structures comprised of essentially uh, a bond instrument and an options package inside the note. But what you need to know and what we need to know as investors are really four things about a structured note. One, who the issuer is. Two, the term of the note. Since it's a note, it has a maturity date. 
So it could be one year, two year, three year. We've kind of hovered around that shorter term time frame, uh, the one to two year uh, notes. So those are the two, th- the first two things. The other two things are what's the payoff for the note, and then what's the risk of the note. And so these are very clearly defined. We use uh, something called an auto callable yield note. You don't need to know all the terms, but it's an income based note, and this is our primary strategy. And we use it because we think it can augment organic income generation for the portfolio. And over the last year, these coupons have averaged in the double digit range. So you're in that uh, 10% plus range, and we had a few in the 15% range and so forth. And it sounds wild, but that's where they've been. And the the length of time is a one-year note. So it's issued by one of the major banks. There is issuer risk, so we uh, so we do do some credit research, but it's the major. So we'll uh, the some of the names I used before are the names that you you see on these one year term. Your payoff is the coupon, which is paid monthly over that term, and we negotiate that every month. So there's a new issue every month for a twelve month time period, and then the risk is something somewhat unique, but it's very defined, which is your principal is protected up to a 30% decline in any one of three major indexes, the S&P, the Russell, the NASDAQ, generally is how how we've done it. So as long as the index doesn't decline 30% or more, it could move all around, but uh, not more than 30%, well, your principal is protected and you get uh, repayment of principal at maturity and you've assumed all those coupons. If it does drop below 30%, all that happens is that your principal is now marked to market and then floats in the direction of the uh, least performing index into maturity. And so one of the ways we do to mitigate that risk is ladder these notes over time. So you don't put all your allocation to these notes in, in, uh, and it would just be a portion of the portfolio anyway to complement your core pieces of the portfolio. But you just ladder them instead of just doing it all in one month, you'd ladder it over multiple months and then keep the the ladder going. And so this has been a very unique, especially in a year like last year where both stocks and bonds decline, this had provided a very unique source of risk and return. And you're very, very true, Tom, when you're talking about leading the charge. I think we've we've been very dedicated to a lot of research in this space on a month-to-month basis uh, and really trying to educate the and and even to the extent that we wrote a white paper to explain the use cases, how you implement them, kind of the appropriate approach to uh, these investment vehicles. And you even helped me write an article for uh, Retirement Weekly that got published. Well, thank you. You did most of the writing. I I was more of the editor. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Mark, I think with what you and and Dean and and Alex and the the whole investment committee have done is is really given us that all weather type of portfolio, and you know we have the confidence in in you guys, and I, I think Tommy, I I know we've had these discussions that we both been with Brookstone now what going on seven years, and we both of us feel like this is this is home for the rest of our careers. Um, and it's really because of the relationships that we have with you. And that's important, right? We have complete trust in all of the employees at Brookstone. Uh, we know you guys only hire top tiered people. And, you know, coming down from the top, you, Dean, Daryl, Derek, everybody in every department um, has always been extremely uh, reliable 
and resourceful. And we thank you for, for everything you do for us as the advisors and definitely for our clients. You guys are truly giving us confidence, giving our clients confidence and, and impact in lives. So thank you, Mark. Well, that's very kind of you to say that, John, for sure. And thank you guys. It's been a, a pleasure to work with you guys. And I know how much you guys, I know how much we talk about portfolio strategy. So I d- definitely know how much you care about the clients and um, solutions for clients. Well, I'll also throw out, since we're throwing out shout outs, I'll throw one out to Maureen Lang, who is both the oh, yeah. rep for John and I, who is is phenomenal. Phenomenal. That. Uh, that's an absolute. And of course, the people who will review this <laughs> podcast are favorite people in compliance. Oh, yeah. So, Karen, good, Karen good Quill. Move, move. <laughs> yeah, Karen Quill. Love you, Karen. <laughs> okay. So, folks, that's going to wrap up the first podcast of 2023. Uh, we want to thank our guest and expert and great guy, Mark Diorio, for and coming friend. on. And folks, and friend, yes, and comedian. He, he, he kept it, he, he kept it, uh, very professionally, but the man is, is a comedian. He's, he's hilarious at conferences. We love him. But folks, as soon as the podcast comes up, I think we will share in our first show notes, maybe some of Mark's favorite pieces, the 10 best days and 10 worst days. So we'll let you know on the next podcast, uh, in a couple of weeks that the website's live. And if you have any questions or you want to know you want us to cover a certain topic, let us know. And, and we'll have that contact info and uh, on the website that's going to be live. So and until it, and it could the be next- about, It could be about anything too, John. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be what we traditionally speak about, but if there's something out there that somebody really wants us to talk to or talk about, uh, throw out the ideas. Yeah. And, and, and like you say, anything, I mean, some of the things Tommy and I are talking about going forward here is, you know, renovating your house for retirement as you get older or, uh, you know, eating healthier. How, how do you, how can you get on track to eat healthier or how can you maintain, you know, your physical fitness or, or overall health going forward? So anything you want to hear, anything that you really think as, as you're going in forward can impact the happiness of your retirement. Cause that's what this podcast is about. It's much more then and although Mark Diorio is very important being the investment guru, investments are just a small piece of the pie. And we want all of our listeners, all of our clients to retire happy and have that peace of mind. So until next time, folks, have a great day, have a blessed week, and we will talk to you next time on the Retire Happy everybody. Podcast. It's easy to get in touch with John and Thomas. If you're more on the West Coast, give John a call at 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. Or go online to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. If you're more of an East Coaster, then call Thomas, 973-394-0623. That's 973-394-0623. And online at internationalfinancial.com. That's internationalfinancial.com. And you can, of course, always just check the description or the show notes section of today's show for all that contact information. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps, and we'll see you next time on the Retire Happy Podcast.
Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM, Securus Financial, and International Financial Advisory Group are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Iamarino, Thomas O'Connell, and guests on this show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subjects covered. Structured notes involve risks not associated with an investment in ordinary debt securities. The securities are not bank deposits and are not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or any other governmental agency, nor are they obligations of or guaranteed by a bank. The securities will not be listed on any securities exchange, and secondary trading may be limited. Therefore, there may be little or no secondary market for the securities. Accordingly, you should be willing to hold your securities to maturity. The securities are subject to the credit risk of the issuing bank, and any actual or anticipated changes to its credit ratings or credit spreads may adversely affect the market value of the securities.